Good morning, everybody. Great to have you all here today. And uh, it's also great to have Celeste on vocals. Welcome, Celeste. Thank you so much for using your talents to serve Jesus and his church. Really appreciate that. And um, I just uh, I love it, uh, being able to, to worship the Lord. And uh, we certainly value a heart of worship here uh, over anything else. Uh, so we just want to uh, worship the Lord this morning. And, uh, but, but, you know, if, if, if I were the devil, I'd be really ticked off. I'd be really ticked off that you're here today. If I were the devil... I'd be really ticked off to see that you've made it. I'd be ticked off to see that you're engaged. I'd be ticked off to see that you're thinking godly thoughts and dreaming about heaven. I'd be ticked off. How dare you ponder God's story, I would say. Don't you know I have a story? I had plans for you. I had my eyes on you. At least if I was the devil, that's what I would think. If I were the devil, I would assemble all my minions and my demons in my strategy room. I'd give them all of your phone numbers, your pictures, your Instagram profiles, and your internet browser history. And if I was the devil, I would review with them all of your weaknesses one by one. I would tell my staff about all your bouts with doubt and how all of you, I would try and have all of you convinced that the Bible was a joke and I would be saying to you, look at you, you and your faith in God's word. That's what I would think if I was the devil. I'd try a new approach as well maybe. I'd try and take your joy. I would try and load you up with so much anxiety and fear and dread and trepidation that you couldn't sleep at night. The devil knows he can't touch your salvation because you are a child of God bought with the blood of Christ and no one can snatch you from your father's hands. He can't take your salvation, but boy, can he take the spring from your step, the sleep from your night and the love from your relationships. So if I were the devil, that's what I'd do. I might also come at you from a different angle, maybe the intellectual approach. I might use that professional sort of tone of voice, maybe like a professor at a university, not that I've ever been to one of those ones that has people that speak down at you like this. Don't you know that sophisticated thinkers Mature, philosophical thinkers have long since dismissed the novelty, the folly of Jesus coming out of the tomb. Oh, you don't believe that, do you? You're smarter than that. You're more sophisticated, more educated. Or if I were the devil... I might download a dump truck of guilt on you. Stinky, toxic, lethal guilt. And I'd remind you every time you step a foot in faith, I would remind you of the times that you fell. The time that you stumbled just last week 
or just two decades ago, I would just keep that scrapbook of sin circulating through your mind and I would whisper, do you really think there is enough grace in the world to cover you? I would leave you just in the shadow of a doubt, if I were the devil, of course. And if that didn't work, I I would try what seems to be his most popular tool of the day, and that's distraction. I would post my minions on every corner, every stairwell, every office, and they would load on you things to do, people to see, tasks to complete, sales to make, assignments to complete, one thing after another, after another, after another. Do that, do this, do that, until even if you came home, you would become so exhausted, worn out, huffing and puffing. Distraction, dizziness, clutter, busyness. Distraction in the form of what you read, I would fill your newspapers with so much rot and rubbish that it would rot the teeth of a dentist's child. I would Netflix you, YouTube you, Spotify, Spotify, Spotify you and social media you. I would lose you in the tangled cavern of staring at a phone screen or a computer screen or a television screen for hours, leading life through a screen. I would have you measure your self-worth by the number of people who looked at your Instagram or liked your Facebook post and I would suck you in. I would keep you so busy you'd never have time to read God's word and most certainly never have time to read the story we're going to read today. The story that displays the strategy of the devil. Because he knows that if you know what he does, that he might that that you might have weapons with which to deal with him. But you know what? I'm not the devil. And since I'm not the devil, we're going to read the story. It's found in Matthew chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up with me today to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. It's also on the screen, but it's always good to do it in your own Bible. So Matthew chapter 4, 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Gee, we've all been there, haven't we? After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So we are journeying coast to coast through the scriptures. We started more than 23 weeks ago in Genesis and will end in October. There is a date coming up, God willing, in Revelation. 
And last week we turned the corner as we went from BC to AC, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We looked at the birth of Jesus, the Word become flesh and dwelt amongst us. And this week we're looking at the chapter which is titled Jesus' Ministry Begins. And if you read along in the story, the chronological Bible that accompanies this series, you'll find that this, this chapter includes some of the most tender stories of the New Testament. The story of Nicodemus, the story of the Samaritan woman, the story of Jesus sitting in the storm, and also a story which is a very supernatural story. It is the encounter in the wilderness between Jesus and the devil. It really sets the stage and reveals to us what is going on in the cosmic world, the conflict between God and the fallen angel by the name of Lucifer, the devil. And it reveals to us the strategy of Satan. So we're going to focus on that particular story today. The name devil in Greek is diablos. The only reason that's important is the Greek word for divide is diablain. So diablos, diablain, the devil is a divider. He came to split. He likes to split marriages. He likes to split friendships. He likes to interrupt community. Any place you sense gossip or tension or separation or hostility or unforgiveness, it smells like the devil. <laughs> yeah, smells like the devil. The, that is the scent of the devil. What it did in the Garden of Eden, separating Adam and Eve from God, is what he wants to do with every single person. Separate us from God and separate us from each other. He's the opposite of Christ. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbour. The devil wants us to avoid, not worship, or, or even hate God, and avoid or even hate our neighbours. He wants us to live in the world of isolation. Loneliness is his payday. If you are lonely and separated, then he is smiling and rubbing his hands together with glee. He is, according to the Bible, the serpent. He's also the tempter. He's the enemy. He's the evil one. He's the prince of demons. He's the father of lies, the murderer, the roaring lion, the deceiver, and the dragon. He is not absent from a peripheral to God's story. He's right at the centre. He was the angel who attempted to usurp the throne of God in the beginning. Sometime in the creation story, Satan said this in Isaiah, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Lucifer, he wanted to write his own story in which he was the hero and God was the afterthought. But God was not going to let him do so. Satan wanted to take his place, but God was not and is not going to move. So he said this, Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. 
So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. We cannot understand what in the world is going on without understanding what is going on with God and the devil. In fact, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And that is going to happen ultimately in the inauguration of the new kingdom when the devil is cast forever out of God's presence into the lake of fire and his works will forever be destroyed. And so it is that the ministry of Jesus began with a showdown with the devil. And by the way, the devil, he wants a showdown with you. He would love nothing more than to bring a season of attack upon you. Some of you are in that season right now. He cannot take your salvation, but boy, can he take a lot from you. And you and I need to know how to respond. And thanks to the stories like the one we're going to be looking at today in the scriptures, we do. So the Bible says we are not ignorant of his schemes. We know what he's up to. You know, when George General, so sorry, when General George Patton Cantor attacked Field Marshal Rommel in World War II. Patton is reported to have shouted, I read your book. <clears throat> because he had read a book written by Rommel titled Infantry Attacks. He knew the German leader's strategy, how he thought about war. And he planned his moves accordingly. We can look at what the devil and we can look at the devil and say. I read about you and I know what you're going to do. We know, for example, that Satan will attack weak spots first. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Or as a lot of us call it, hangry, don't we? When you're angry because you're hungry, right? Uh, it's one of those things that if you haven't eaten for a while, you're, you're on edge. And, and Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. 40 days of fasting had left Jesus famished. So Satan, knowing the stomach of Jesus was empty, began with the temptation to turn stones into bread. I mean, just the word bread would be appealing after 40 days, I think. It was a weak spot. He knew Jesus was hungry. He knew the stomach of Jesus was empty. Where are you hungry? Are you hungry for something? Are you hungry for approval? Are you hungry for financial success? Are you hungry for intimacy? Are you hungry for community? Are you hungry for a father's approval? Are you hungry for acceptance? Are you hungry for something? As I would suggest to you that the, devil's, the devil knows your weak spot. And he knows my weak spots. <clears throat> he would say to us now, go turn stones into bread. In other words, fix it yourself. Take matters into your own hands. And the response of Jesus is no. When it comes to bread, you say, give us this bread, our daily bread. In other words, go to God with these needs. So the rule of thumb is take your weak spots to Christ before the devil 
uses them against you. Acknowledge this is the struggle that I have. This is the challenge that I have. Lord, Lord, I give it to you. So that when the devil tries to take advantage of it, you've already given it to Christ. Now, if that doesn't work, Satan will do this. He will raise a question about your identity. He will leave you second-guessing your place in the family of God. To Jesus, he said, if you are the son of God. In other words, Satan is saying, you need to prove it. Let's see some kind of demonstration. Let me see your resume. Let's see what you can do if you, if, if you really are the son of God. Satan loves to leave us questioning if we really are in the family of God or not. And he wants us to think that if we are in the family of God, we have to prove it. Occasionally prove it by having to do something more, perform more, achieve more, accomplish more. And if he can make you think that your relationship with God or your place in the family of God depends on you, then he's got you. Because you're not and I'm not strong enough. We're going to mess up. So if it all relies on us, we're all stuffed. The wonderful call of the Christian faith is that our relationship with God depends upon God, not on us. And everything we do is because God loves us, not in order to get God to love us. Let's just dwell on that for a moment. Because that is huge. Satan wants us to buy into a system that's called legalism. And legalism says, do more and God might love you. Legalism is a pursuit of innocence, not a pursuit of forgiveness. We're never going to be innocent of sin, but we can be forgiven. Legalism says, I've got to be busy for God and hopefully God will accept me and maybe someday perhaps God might even save me. The wonderful message of grace is that God has already looked upon and looked at your life and he has decided to buy you and equip you and claim you for his kingdom. Satan comes along and says, well, that might be true, but you know, he looks for, for fine print. It's what he tried to do with Jesus, but Jesus wouldn't even sniff the bait. Three times he responded, it is written, it is written, it is written. Jesus reacted and responded to temptation by quoting scripture. Jesus reacted to and responded to temptation by quoting scripture. You wanted something fancier than that, didn't you? You wanted a solution that was all razzle-dazzle. No, 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 it's actually quite simple. It's quoting scripture. He, Jesus responded to the temptation of the devil by doing something that you can do. Quoting scripture. Take that, devil! It is written, it is written, it is written. So when nothing else worked, Satan tried this. He might, 
tell you to show off in church. And the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. We would assume that temptation would be limited to a Las Vegas casino or an inner city red light district maybe. Satan loves to tempt people though in church. He took Jesus to the holy city. He had him stand at the highest place of the temple and said, now do something. Impress me with what you can do. Ever wonder why so many religions are full of people trying to impress people into worshipping God? Well, now you know. The devil is up, still up to it. He's trying to convince us. He's trying to pervert worship and cause us to worship people or worship leaders, all in the arena of religion. Because if he can get us to worship anyone or anything less than God, he has accomplished his purpose. And now we'll try one more thing, at least he did with Jesus. He will promise heights. The devil took him to a very high mountain. Up, 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 up he went. And I guess thinking Jesus would get dizzy from the thin air up there, especially on an empty stomach, so he might not think clearly. And Satan said, uh, then Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. You know, Satan hasn't changed. What does he want? Well, he still wants to be worshipped. Satan is a narcissist. He's an egotist. His world revolves around himself and he wants worship. He certainly doesn't want you to worship God. He wants to be worshipped. And I really don't think the odds are high that you're going to do some, go to some sort of voodoo store and buy a statue of the devil and, and take it into your living room and light candles and fall down prostate before it. I don't think that's, that the odds of that are high, right? Really, I mean, look at you. You're all a bunch of lovely people. So I, I just can't see any of you doing that, right? But here's what I think. I think Satan is happy with convincing you to worship anything or anyone short of God. So if he convinces you to worship a girlfriend or a boyfriend, if he can convince you to worship a career or a superannuation fund, if he can convince you to give everything you have to get that holiday house or, or boat or whatever, you know, insert name here. Um, you see, when we worship something... We depend upon that thing or person or identity for our strength. That's what worship is. We align ourselves with that thing or that person. And so the devil knows that if he can get me to worship a boat or, you know, th that boat is one day going to rot and we're going to be disappointed and he'll chalk that up to another victory. The reason God wants our worship is not because God has an ego problem, but because he knows that if we worship small things, we will be heartbroken. We will go from defeat to defeat to defeat. We will worship that person only to be rejected and will be heartbroken. We'll worship that career only to be rejected and heartbroken. 
We will go lurching through life, up and down, up and down, up and down. And finally, when we get to the final days of our lives, we will be cynical and disappointed and will say life wasn't all that it's supposed to be. For our own good, God says, worship God. Worship the endless, strong, powerful, loving, radiant King of kings and Lord of lords. Let your mind be consumed with heavenly thoughts. Let me indwell and empower you because that is the bread of life. Now Satan knows that. And so if he can convince you to worship something or some, someone less than God, he's got you. But now you know what he's up to. Now you've read his book. Now you know that he is a defeated devil. Now you know that he is nothing more than a snake with its head chopped off, squirming in the dirt. Now you know what to do. The Bible gives you two tools. You should pray. When the devil knocks at your door, turn to Jesus and say, would you please answer that? You don't need to deal with the devil on your own. You don't need to go into some odd hocus-pocus exorcism uh, closet and do some type of mystical stuff, right? All you've got to do is turn to God. Glance at the devil, right? Because you need to know what he's doing, right? But gaze at Christ. Glance at the devil. He is around, but gaze at Christ. So pray. Number two, arm yourself with God's word. Be ready. If I were in America, <clears throat> right, I would say, load your pistol and keep your finger on the tr trigger. Load your pistol with scriptures and keep your finger on the trigger, right? But we're not in, in, in America. So I'm trying to think of something for our Australian context. In summer, it might be load the esky with ice and the cool, refreshing drink of Scripture and keep hydrated. I don't know. Like, you'll think of something, I'm sure, this week. you go, load a pistol with Scripture, you know, and keep your finger on the trigger. What's, what's, what's that for me? What's that in my context? You'll work it out. Because Jesus kept hydrated. It is written. It is also written. It is written. In his book, God's book is enough. Jesus overcame temptation not with special voices or supernatural science, but by remembering and quoting scripture. That's it. You don't need to buy bottled healing oil from Israel. You don't need a prayer shawl that the televangelist is selling. You just need a Bible. Read it and receive it. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Ephesians 6, 17 and 18. Now, according to the Apostle Paul, what are the two tools? God's word and prayer. And this conviction that God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who is in the world.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that, Almighty God, you have given us insight into the schemes of the devil so that we are not unaware. Lord, we thank you that we have been given insight into how the devil attacks us through this story of how he attacked your son. And the goal of Satan to try and attack Jesus, Lord, is astonishing because of who Jesus is. But it's not surprising when he tries to attack us, your children. And so, Lord, make us aware of the schemes of the devil. And, Lord, help us turn to you. When the devil comes knocking at our door, may we say, Jesus, answer that. When temptation hits us and those struggles envelop us, Lord, may we reach out for you. May we reach out for your word. May we saturate our lives with the scriptures so that when we are faced with temptation, we can answer that with the word of God. Help us to turn to you quickly in prayer and to know your word deeply, intimately, so that we can withstand the attacks of the devil. Protect us all, I pray. Be with us. Lead us. Guide us. And Lord, may we continue to bring hope and glorify you. Amen.